0: look to the Lord now in prayer. And our fathers, we're coming into your presence. What we're asking is that you would speak to our hearts. We realize that on Father's Day, much more significantly, we've gathered together on the Lord's Day. First member of the Trinity has revealed himself as God the Father. The second member of the Trinity has revealed himself as God the Son. The third member of the Trinity has revealed the dynamics in your word of this eternal relationship. What we want to do is to honor the earthly father, of course, today. And for those that are fathers, I'm praying that you will give them incredible wisdom found here in this passage of scripture, to relate these timeless truths to these changing times. What we need, Father, is to be able to see how your word connects to the various decisions, the various counsel, and the various ways, Father, in which families function today. For those that are not fathers, there are some in this church, single mothers, that are carrying multiple responsibilities that would normally require a man and a woman give them great wisdom from this passage. There are those that are grandfathers, praying, Lord, that they will take this and to apply it to multiple generations. Father, for the women of this congregation today, minister to their hearts because these principles that are found in your word relate to all people for all times. What we want to do, Father, is to honor you through your word with our lives. So in these minutes together, as we pause in the series that we are involved in, to draw from your word on this Father's Day. Again, warm these hearts, engage these minds, and shape these wills. Come here again, Father, to see Jesus, Him only. And we're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story that's been passed on through the years on my mother's side of the family about a time, about a year before her father passed away, where a father who had owned his own construction firm pulled his seven sons and two daughters together out on an empty field north of the city in which they lived in. It was a wide expanse of field, and he had a long, so to speak, scroll in her mind of what he was holding. He had plans. And as he began to unfold this large sheet of paper, she remembers at her young age him pulling particularly the family close together and then pointing off into the distance. Her final memory of him outside of his passing was There's the future. His plan for his company was to begin constructing homes in a suburban setting north of their city. What fascinates me about this passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning is that here is David in his advanced years now, and it's as if he has taken his son Solomon And in what seems to be a form of a national convention, he is pointing off into the future. But he's got this scroll, so to speak, a blueprint from God as to what needs to be done, what needs to be constructed, how one's to go about doing this. And here we find him, in essence, taking this sheet and passing it on hand in hand, plan in hand, to the next generation. What I want to do with you is to talk this morning a little bit about directional wisdom. Solomon seems to have extracted a lot of insight from these opportunities, such as in 1 Chronicles 22, and again in chapter 28, to describe the ways in which a father is to be going about providing a sense of wisdom to subsequent generations. Now throughout the book of Proverbs, you will find Solomon's fingerprints all over those opening chapters in particular, where he uses a Hebrew word hokmah to describe wisdom, which we would translate it as masterful understanding, skill, expertise. And as you make your way through the writings of David's son, Solomon, what you will find is that there is a relational wisdom where at times Solomon is saying to his children, here are the sorts of people that you should invest time with and here are the sorts that you should stay away from. Then there's a form of occupational wisdom where he's challenging the subsequent generations as how to work effectively and diligently for God's glory. What we see in not only the book of Proverbs, but the seedbed of so much of the wisdom that you and I would find there, is this statement and this teaching. It's as if David is now putting the plan in hand for Solomon to follow a form of directional wisdom. It's as if the Father is pointing into the future and saying, here's the direction we all need to go. Now, the wise father understands that the classic questions known as interrogatives, the questions we pose, the who, what, where, when, how, and why. And you need to be pulled together when you are providing forms of wisdom for the next generation to be able to help and equip people to answer those questions. Fathers typically are very good with that how, such as how to shoot, how to fix a, a broken-down bicycle, how to ride a bicycle, how to drive a car and the likes. But there are other questions besides the how. There's the who, the what, the where, the when, and so on, leading leading us into the future. Behind all this, not only the question of why, but the great who himself, God, God the Father, with God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I want to focus primarily now on the where and the who, who stands behind the where, where we are looking this morning at directional wisdom. And as we look at directional wisdom as this father, perhaps this grandfather, is pointing forward, I want to draw three significant priorities that are found here in this chapter because these are some of the last memories that Solomon is going to have of the way in which his father is communicating wisdom to his son. The first is found in verse 9 and 10. We're going to put it this way, number one, that directional wisdom entails prioritizing the will of God. Prioritizing the will of God. And I want you to see here the tremendous emphasis that David now, it's almost as if he's standing out in the fields, he's pointing into the future as he's communicating to his son, and the plan is put in hand. Here is where we begin. This is what God desires of you, Solomon. First things, imprimis, primary. And you, Solomon, and notice now right away you see the relational connection. This is critically important for a father as it relates to the next generation generations. And you, Solomon, notice how personal he is. Utilizes the name. My son, notice the connection he establishes. And then J.I. Packer would love this. No the God. Know the God of your father. Notice how he is utilized in his own relationship, my son, but now at the same time, he shifts the attention upward. Know the God of your father. And now, interestingly enough, challenges him and serve him. Now, notice how we are to serve him. Serve him with a whole heart. Now, the word heart is a very important word throughout the writings of the chronicler. It's the way in which you and I are to understand the the core of who we are. And David wants Solomon to come to grips with this core to understand the connection between the heart and the self. And you will notice that throughout Solomon's writings, again and again and again, there's a high emphasis placed upon the heart, where the ethical dynamics of life get worked out under the lordship of our God. It's the very core of who we are. It's where we cultivate wisdom and understanding in the very center of decision-making. Now, you and I might look back and we recall, for example, the experiences that David had as there was transition occurring between, between he and the prior king, Saul. And words were delivered to Saul after Saul had departed from God's will. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, you see. His own heart. Later on, when Samuel is attempting to discern who it is that God has chosen to replace And the natural tendency, as you and I know, was to look at the outward appearance. And there was one in particular that caught Samuel's attention, who must have in some way, shape, or form reminded Samuel of the first king Saul. The Lord had to offer some kind of mid-course correction there in the decision-making process. Has he ever done that to you? And the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. And then some very forceful words, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, what David is doing for Solomon at this point is that he's forcing him to think very seriously about the dimensions of the vertical, God the Father, and how the vertical intersects with the internal, the heart, and where decisions are established. And motives are shaped. And you, and you sense the parental connection here. Are you developing it, you who are men, who are fathers here this morning, grandfathers? And are you combining the relational with the vertical, with the internal? It's all there for you. And you, Solomon, my son, there's the relational. Know that the God of your father That's the vertical. Serve him with the whole heart. That's the internal. And with a willing mind. And then something very powerful here. It should give each and every person, male, female, pause. Pause. For the Lord searches all hearts. He's your He's your spiritual cardiologist, you see. Not some. For the Lord searches all hearts, and interestingly enough, when you're ever wondering, grappling with motives, intentions, decisions, reasons why, God understands. understands every plan and thought. Now, the wise father wants to be able to take the plan and put it in the hand of the next generation. And this word plan is going to be appearing throughout this chapter. It's interesting. Now, He goes on, then, to lay down a condition that if you seek him, he will be found by you, and if you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. This is not the sense of the loss of salvation. What we find here, first of all, is that when you are saved, you are secure. What Solomon is going to learn, that when he departed from God's will in the course of his days, the kingdom began to break down but it seems that at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he had made his way back to God, his Father. Notice the phrase, if you seek him. Now, that's a very critical phrase found throughout throughout the book of 1st, in fact, 2nd Chronicles as well. There would come a time when Solomon would be standing before the people and say, to them and challenge them with regard to the whole principle of revival, that if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, and what? Seek my face, God would be saying to Solomon, who would have to say this to the people, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now, one of the most critical words that is found in First and Second Chronicles, "darash," the Hebrew word, carries with the idea of seeking. It carries with the idea of a loyal devotion here that David wants to establish in the heart of Solomon. There's an intensity of commitment that's found here. And so, what we want to do is to cultivate internally this longing pursue God and as you pursue God one of the great benefits is greater clarity with regard to the plan of God he's got to provide a sense of the will of God here so what does he say in verse 10 be careful now I'm going to have to become very insistent Perspective of your heart, because the internal shapes the externals. And then dramatically, and remember, of course, how many sons that David had. The Lord has chosen you. You can imagine how he's thinking about a prior time where, where Samuel had to work through a list of David's brothers until he got he got to David, who was out in the fields tending sheep. And now, likewise, God has winnowed it down. And it's to be, surprisingly, Solomon. God has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. And then words which you typically find whenever someone is facing transitions in life. Be strong. similar to the way in which Moses would be speaking to Joshua. And the way in which a strong father has got to be able to communicate to the next generations. Because you will find that phrase, be strong, used, particularly in times of transition. We've got a culture in transition right now. And the wise father connects the vertical to the internal pulls all this together and now draws this out for the next generation to understand. What is desperately needed is a sense of directional wisdom in the confusing days, particularly with technology where it now stands with social media on how to do God's will based upon God's word. I've always loved that story, don't you, of Andrew Murray? It was 1895, and he was in incredible pain, a particular time in his life physically. One morning, he was eating his breakfast in his room, and hostess told him that there was a woman downstairs who was, who was challenged by some of the difficulties of life and wanted to know if he, if he had any advice for her. He was having a hard time even getting out of bed at that moment physically. But he asked her to bring him a paper, and he took a pen and said, Give her this advice I'm writing down. In the time of challenges and troubles, say, First, he, speaking of God, first he brought me here. It is by his will I am in this straight place in that I'll rest. Next, He'll keep me here in His love and give me grace in this trial to live as His child. Then say, He will make the trial a blessing, teaching me lessons. He intends me to learn and working in me the grace He means to give. And at last, Andrew Murray said, and in God's good time, he can bring me out of this again. How and when, he knows. To summarize, therefore say, I am here, number one, by God's appointment. Number two, in his keeping. Number three, under his training. and Number four, for his time what incredible wisdom now so many of us are either facing transitions in life or we are ministering to extended family members or friends co-workers whoever are facing transitions in life and what people desperately need is truth in the midst of transition truth is constant transition is variable don't make truth the variable make truth the constant and apply the constant to the variables of life if your family extended family loved ones are going through times of change allow the change lest to guide them in the changeables allow truth shape their thinking in the midst of the transitions. And don't underestimate when words such as be strong are uttered in the Scriptures. And learn strategically how to use those words effectively in a timely way to be able to minister to those that seem to be shrinking back from the transitions of life. You see. Now this is important. Know Him. Serve Him. Not like Saul with a divided heart, but rather as God has intended with a whole heart. And then he says in verse 10, of course, be careful now. You've got to be cautious. You've got to continue to evaluate. Lord's chosen you here, Solomon. You are called to build this house as much as David would have longed to do so. But be strong. Like a typical father, do it. There's an action orientation here. Now, the wise father then collects the who, what, where, when, how, and why, and so on and uses each of these interrogatives effectively and applies the various aspects of wisdom, takes the timeless, connects it to the timely. So directional wisdom, like that grandfather I never had the privilege of meeting, with this plan in hand, about to pass it on to the next generation, pointing off into the future while at the same time pointing outwards towards these empty fields, is telling them, I could see a school here, and I could see a church here, and I can see houses here. He's envisioning, and he's pointing ahead. Are you doing that? Use all the interrogatives, not just some of them the who, what, where, when, how, why. Fit them together and see where this takes us. So first of all, in terms of your priorities, directional wisdom entails prioritizing the will of God. You found that in verse 9 and 10. Kent read for us a little bit earlier. But now second of all, directional wisdom entails prioritizing the Word of God. And you're going to see how that fits together in verse 11 down to verse 19. Now, I'm going to highlight, of course, verse 19, but I want to fit some things together here. And we'll just simply draw out some, some distinctive phrases. And I want you to find wherever the word plan is, to underline it or circle it, whatever you like to do, and draw a line back, would you, to verse 9, where it read in the heart of verse 9, For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan. So now, as God is inspecting your soul and your heart, he understands every plan, but furthermore, you and I are called to understand God's plan. He understands the plans we make, but we're to understand the plan that God has made. Now, in particular, Notice the plan that Solomon's gotta work with. Then David gave Solomon his son. Notice again the incredible connection relationally, which needs to be there through the generations. Don't underestimate Dad's grandfather's the relational aspect of it all. David gave Solomon his son keeps appearing. The plan. Now, you drew a line, didn't you, back to verse 9, where it said, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan. Now, here you are in verse, in verse 11, and David gave Solomon, his son, the plan. Now, this is the plan, you see, of the temple to be constructed. And what's fascinating for us is that it's tied together with the pattern that God had established for Moses with regard to the plan for the tabernacle. In other words, God had set standards to follow. It's as if he had this blueprint and his son by his side, and he's pointing to the future with plan in hand and about to pass it on to the next generation, say, there's the future, and now he's connected the plan of verse 9 with the plan of God in verse eleven, the God gave David gave Solomon's son the plan. <coughs> now the specifics. In this case, the vestibule of the temple and of its houses. You've got a blueprint unfolding here. Its treasuries, its upper rooms, its inner chambers, and of the room for the mercy seat. You can all sense the pause. But here it is again in verse 12, isn't it? And you're going to want to underline it or circle it. And the plan. And the plan of all that he had in my God. For the courts of the house of the Lord, not the courts of the house of David. Now here is something very critical. Solomon has to understand that what's being passed to him is not his father's preferences he's got to understand that this is not his father's opinions, that this has not originated within, with his father. I'm ministering to an individual years ago, and she says, I just don't believe in my father's faith. And I said, well, fair enough. What you need to understand is that, biblically speaking, we're not to put faith in a prior generation's faith. Salvation is not found in putting faith in a prior generation's faith. What you need to do is to examine the evidence of Jesus Christ, who he is, his claims, his life, his personhood, his death, and the evidence for the resurrection, And setting aside your father's faith, ask, is there enough evidence for me personally to put faith in Jesus Christ? I can't let you off the hook on that one, you see. Now, notice then that this is not David's plan. This is God's plan. And now Solomon is going to have to ask himself some serious questions. What is my relationship to God? Because if I am going to do the will of God, I'm going to have to abide according to the word of God. And now you and I are looking carefully at the headings we're using in this exposition this morning. You drew a line from verse 9 in the will of God area to the word of God area. In verse 11, David gave Solomon his son the plan. In verse 11, And then here you have it again in verse 12. And the plan of all that he, speaking of God, had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord. This is the Lord's house. It's his blueprint. You see the house of the Lord there again in verse 13. Twice. This is of the Lord, you see. And by the time you get down to verse 18, then starkly and dramatically... We are told that this is tied to the covenant of the Lord. So all of this then is speaking of the Lord, his will as it connects to his word. We've got to have the word of God that helps us to understand the will of God. John Wanamaker, who is one of the country's and great businessmen of a prior era, said I have, of course, made large purchases of property in my lifetime. And the buildings and the grounds in which we are now meeting represent a value of approximately $20 billion. But it was as a boy in the country at 11 years of age that I made my biggest purchase in a church inspired by the study of God's Word. I went out and bought a small leather Bible. The Bible cost me $2.75, which I paid in small installments that I had saved. That was my greatest purchase. And for That Bible made me what I am today. Well, one of the New York newspapers picked up on it in this interview and captioned it with these words, well, later deals and millions called small in comparison with buying a Bible at the age of 11. Begins to put things in perspective. When the next generations have a sense of the relationship between the will of God and the word of God, but you see, thus far, Gary, what you've been talking about is the plan of God. And you've connected verse 9 with that of 11 and 12, the vertical with the internal and so on. But draw from me a little more about the Word of God. Fair enough. Look at verse 19. All this He made clear to me in writing. This is powerful stuff from the hand of the Lord. All the work to be done according to the plan. So now what David is doing is drawing attention to the Word of God, which ties together the will of God. And when you look at how this is broken down for Solomon, He's hearing His Father with a sense of reverence and awe. He made clear to me. There's clarity here when you're dealing with the Word of God. It's in writing. It's from the hand of the Lord. Not merely my opinion here. It's the hand of the Lord. All the work to be done. Not some of it. And now, notice where the plan is found. It's according to the plan. It's not according to David. It's according to God. And what the next generations need to be able to see is to where you draw your convictions. And they've got to grapple with the fact that, no, I don't have the opportunity, the luxury, to either accept or reject my father's faith. I'm on the clock. I'm on the clock. Am I willing to examine the evidence of Christ? Who He is? What He's done? I don't put faith in someone's faith. I'm called to put my faith in Christ. Now what you find is the will of God and the Word of God are connected here in a very unique way. You know, when Stanley started across the continent of Africa looking for Livingston, the biographer says he had 73 books in three packs, weighing 180 pounds. After he had gone 300 miles, he had to throw away some of his books. He was wearing down. As he continued on his journey, his library grew less and less until he had but one book the Bible. We're told it said that he read that Bible through three times during his journey. And what we've got to do is to allow people to start stripping down the accessories and challenging the future generations to begin to focus upon what really matters, to distinguish between the essential and the additionals, connect the will of God to the Word of God, the vertical to the internal. And there's this directionally wise father, grandfather, whoever, and he's pointing. There's the future while holding a plan. There's a third priority found here. It's found in verse 20 and 21. The thirdly, directional wisdom entails prioritizing the work of God. This is not meant to be simply cerebral. Now we've got to put something into action the who, what, where, when, how, why stuff of life. Then David said to Solomon, can't get away from this relational connection. This is no distant father here in this conversation. David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous as if he's now bookending this council. And much like Moses with Joshua, when Moses had to encourage Joshua in a time of transition, now David, in his aged state status, he's equipping the next generation, is now compassionately looking at his son, who's got a massive project on his hands. Be strong and courageous. I love what comes next, don't you? so much of a father here. Do it. Do it. Just put it into action. Don't keep it abstract. Make it happen. You're doing that kind of stuff. You're taking all the interrogatives of wisdom and applying it for relational wisdom Occupational wisdom, directional wisdom, wherever the next generation is needed. Chokmah, masterful understanding, skill, expertise. You can see now how this conversation, this, this time that Solomon has with David in this national convention that David has established for the passing of the baton is giving here Solomon a sense of a trajectory. A trajectory into the future. The wise father sets a trajectory into the future. Now he can't impose truth upon the soul of the next generation. It doesn't work, does it? You can't make someone to believe. But you can explain expose truth to the soul of the next generation. And now Solomon's got to deal with this through the course of his days. He would write, train up a child in the way in which he should go when he's old, he shall not depart from it. And there was a mid-course departure, wasn't there, but in his old age. So it seems in Ecclesiastes, in the final chapter, he returned to it in his old age. Be strong and courageous. Do it. Do not be afraid. Now, you take the will of God, the word of God, the work of God, pull it all together, look at the transitions, where phrases like, do not be afraid appear. And so often you will find this phrase occurring where a departure is about to take place, whether it be with Jesus and his disciples or here David in relationship to Solomon. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, because he draws attention to where and who it matters most. The Lord God, even my God, is with you. Shades of what's to come when Jesus is with his disciples an informing theology for Matthew to use at the end of his book in the area of discipleship in 18 through 20. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. And then dramatically speaking with one of those great beholds in verse 21, and behold the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God and with you in all the work will be every willing man who is skilled for any kind of service. In other words, here is a father, here's a grandfather, he's resourcing. In other words, he's equipping the next generation with the necessary resources to carry on when he's no longer there. He is connected spiritually the will of God to the word of God to the work of God. But now what we find furthermore is that when Solomon is wondering, and where do I go from here, David has wisely tied the plan of God to the people of God. Here, here's your resources. The priests, the Levites, every willing man who has skill for any kind of service, it's been organized and thought through for this next generational passing of the baton. Also the officers and all the people will be holy at your command. And this whole idea of holy is critically important here. Because he began, and you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father, and serve him with a whole heart, in verse 9. And now he ends this section, in verse 21. And with you and all the work will be every willing man who has skill for any kind of service, also the people and all the people will be holy at your command. You see, the wise father uses all the interrogatives of wisdom, connects the dots, resources, the next generation, sets up a trajectory, knows that he's not going to be around forever, and gives directional wisdom of what's to come. During World War II, when the Nazis invaded France, the French citizens took down all the signposts The Nazi armies were advancing, but they didn't know which way to turn or what direction lay their objective. The signposts were taken down to confuse the enemy. What we have to do is to equip next generations to make absolutely certain we're not looking at cultural signposts which would send us in wrong directions. But rather, we connect now will of God Word of God. Work of God. We pull together the vertical with the intern. You got the plan. You got the purpose. You got the people. You pull this together. And now, with his seven sons and two daughters by side, with a plan in hand, points forward and says, there's the future. You can't impose this. But we're all called to expose this. So that the next generations have got to grapple with. And what about my own personal faith? If I put it in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Let's stand together. For fathers in particular, there's something about masculinity that craves wisdom. And how to take things and put them in action. Thank you for a David who would give us this sense of directional wisdom in relationship to a Salmon. It gives us the necessary tools to put something in action. I want to pray now in particular for fathers, grandfathers, fathers-to-be in all these services. Help them now to draw a sense of a trajectory from your Word. Take into account all the variables, all the various personality types of all the people in the extended family and beyond. But there's a constant here. It's you. It's your word. And help us to be able to take into account the way in which we are to apply this constant to all those variables. We need wisdom. We need chokmah. We need you. So, Father, bless each and every one and equip us now, male, female alike, to take your word and relate it to all kinds of situations in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God bless you.